The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You're listening to the MLS Multiplex podcast with contributors from MLSMultiplex.com. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the MLS Multiplex Podcast. As usual, Drew, Josh, and Connor here talking all things uh, MLS's back tournament as the tournament has winded down. Um, but MLS is staying here. We have teams uh, playing games again after the tournament and getting ready to play games after the tournament. So we have a lot to talk about from games, uh, transfer rumors, and all sorts of stuff across the MLS landscape. But before we get into our episode of talking about soccer, Connor, how was your week? It was pretty good. Uh, I got to see a couple of friends for the first time in a long time, uh, which was nice. Editing, doing other audio work, stuff like that, fun things. Uh, happy Raptors won today. Uh, finally won a, the first game of a series for the first time in forever uh, against Brooklyn. So that's always good to see. Uh, but yeah, doing... Good. <laughs> uh, Josh, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. I started a new job last week, so been been a working man. Not a lot of free time to digest all the wonderful sports happening. And uh, I am excited to have more MLS back this week. Hopefully things go smoothly. Hopefully we don't see an MLB kind of situation where we start to see many outbreaks with teams so hoping for the best on that front things seem to go all right with Nashville and Dallas to start but Drew how was your week how are you how are you doing it was a whirlwind of a week but I'm doing pretty good right now school I start school in like three days so we'll see how that works I went on campus the other day and it was weird stuff man they like they're trying to make people wear masks and trying to keep stuff marked off but we're 40,000 college kids in one little area so we'll see how that goes um but yeah the canucks play tonight i know connor loves talking hockey so we get to bring that up they're up two to one in the series but i'm still nervous because the atlanta sports has rubbed off on me into my hockey team 
Um, so it's been it's been a fun week. Sports are back, and we're getting all the fun parts of it. But uh, we should probably talk about this a little bit. We talked a little bit about Sam Mewis last week. Uh, Rose Lavelle was transferred to OL Reign of the NWSL. Uh, but I think I haven't, don't know fully the deals of the contract, but it's sounding a lot like she's going to get out of the NWSL and go to Europe. Man City was, I think still is the set destination. So that was kind of a bummer. She's so good. And, as a friend of a friend of the podcast and Aubrey Bledsoe, I like seeing her in Washington. So that was kind of a bummer seeing her go to Tacoma, Washington. But that was cool. But besides all that, we had St. Louis City SC come out with their branding. I didn't even know the branding was supposed to come out soon, but it did. Uh, yeah, St. Louis City SC is the name. And the crest, I, I like the crest. I think it's super cool. I don't like the name. I don't like the whole SC thing. And just going with City is kind of a bummer. But big fan of the crest and big fan of how they like incorporated the arch. That's super original to St. Louis. Josh, what did you think about the crest and name? Uh, well, first, I really like the colors. And I really like the crest. I like the the incorporation of the arch. Um, so, so personally, I'm a fan of that you know, as far as the name goes, you know, I, I, you know, I wish it was something else besides city. We just already have cities. You know, we talked about it with Charlotte, right? I, I want a town or an athletic. Like if these, if the these MLS teams, these new MLS teams, if they're gonna go for the European style name, then at least give us something different. You know, you know, we've got plenty of Uniteds, and you know, out, we've already got Orlando City and New York City. So I kind of wish. That part of it was a little bit different, but I really do like the the colors and the crest. Um, I think when we circle back around, we'll talk about it a little bit, but there's also some interesting um, deal with their font type and their branding that they rolled out. I, I thought that was a little interesting. So, uh, Connor, what did you think about the newest name in MLS? Well, you've both stolen everything I was going to say. Uh, I love the colors. I love the... I don't love the name, uh, but I do love the colors. I love the logo. I think that's so cool how they mixed the uh, actual like arches into the red of the where the name is. I think that's really, really nice. I think it looks really clean. I'm excited to see what it's going to look like on a jersey. Uh, hopefully it translates well, but it is a little complicated. Uh, I don't know if it'll necessarily work 100%, but... There's a lot of promise there, and I like it. Uh, I want to know what they're going to do with their jerseys in particular because those are two very interesting colors. And you could actually go out of the box a little bit, which MLS has tended not to do, uh, especially when looking at recent announcements and new jerseys and things like that. Um, But who knows? I think we could see something really cool, and I'd love to see it be St. Louis. But I don't know. What are your guys' sort of thoughts on everything around the controversy of potentially having legal issues. Uh, I can't remember which one of you threw that in the doc. That would be me. So just to quickly sum it up for our, for our listeners, uh, St. Louis announced their name and crest, all that good stuff, their branding, the color schemes that we've been discussing. That was announced on August 13th. This past, was it Thursday, Wednesday, Thursday, um, however, unfortunately, Minneapolis City SC, which is a 
fourth division team, I believe. No, uh, MPSL, I think. Either way, it's it's a fourth division, third division. It's a very it's a, a small club. It's a lower level club. Um, well, they rolled out some branding of their own for uh, so it is a fourth division NPSL team. I'm saying it now. Their junior team rolled out this cool campaign, this futures campaign, and looking at the pictures from this sort of rollout, they're the exact same. It's the same font that they've used. And even the colors are super similar uh, in this sort of red and blue that I'm looking at right now. So it doesn't look like enough attention has been brought to this just kind of overall. I do know Minneapolis city, they started calling St. Louis, the thieves just started uh, referring to them as that instead of saying their actual name. Uh, so it's been really, they were, their Twitter account was throwing tons and tons of shade as soon as it happened. And I think it, they're still throwing shade as I'm kind of just glancing through their, their Twitter feed right now. So I thought that was really interesting. I'm curious to see if something will come of this. I don't know, you know, with it being MLS and it being a fourth division team, I'm not sure anything will come of this. There will be any news regarding it, but uh, Drew, what are your sort of thoughts on the potential legalities of it? And I can't remember if you said anything about the crest and colors, but maybe some extra thoughts from you. What do you think? Yeah, so first starting off with some basic thoughts about the crest and colors. Um, super cool. Uh, again, like you guys said, I do like that it's not a circle. Um, that seems to be a common theme. It's like, I don't even know what kind of shape you call it, but super cool. St. Louis knocked it out of the park. Excited to see that team and potentially some rivalries with them, Chicago, Sporting Kansas City, and the Midwest. But about the legality thing, I did not know about this until Josh threw it in the outline. But now that I'm looking at the other team's branding, it's like the colors are very similar. It's that blue that you kind of think is a black on first glance. The red's really similar. Um, the font is seems identical. But it's interesting that because they're so they're not going to be competing for one against one another on the field, how that might affect. And they're really not competing for audience or competing for fans, so to say, how that is going to play into this. Um, the only thing I've seen about it is from the MLS Buzz Twitter account it has a pretty decent following, 15,000 followers. So it's seen, and apparently if teams are throwing shade on each other on Twitter, it's a pretty well-known issue. Um, again, I don't know if MLS, they might look into it, but I imagine St. Louis has thought this through um again these brandings they're thought out well before they actually come out to the forefront of the public but it's it's interesting to see if there's anything there i don't know if we ever had anything like this in american sports where you have like a potential lawsuit between a minor league club and a major league club like st louis um so i don't know if mls is going to do anything i don't know if they'll have to do anything because of how non-competitive these two clubs are with one another because it's a fourth division versus a top tier MLS team. So maybe there's not a whole lot of confusion between the two teams. So I don't know if MLS is going to do anything because I don't know if they have to do anything just because of how separate the two teams are. Um, Connor, what did you think about it when you saw the branding from the two teams? Well, I've just been sort of comparing the two now uh, in terms of the similarities and I don't think it's that similar. I don't think you run into copyright issues. And when it comes to fonts, it's very, very difficult to do copyright stuff around that because any font is basically, like, fonts are very, very similar no matter what. 
so I don't think they'll run into any sort of legal issues, uh, or they shouldn't at least, unless there's some information surrounding maybe background stuff, because I believe they use the same, uh, according to MLS Buzz, their tweets, uh, they use the same designer. Uh, but I don't really know if that'll play a factor into everything. Uh, I don't see an issue coming of it personally, but I'm also not a lawyer. So what do I know? Uh, maybe something does happen. But from my little knowledge of sports and how copyright and stuff like that works, I don't see really there being an issue there. What about you, Josh? Yeah, I mean, you know, again, I, I because it's such a small club, I don't really think that anything will necessarily come of it. I, I do think it's really interesting, though, just the sort of timing of it with this fourth division club rolling this out just six weeks before. And, you know, Drew, you bring up a good point. And yes, the design of these things, as we've come to learn about MLS in particular, it takes a long time before we get crests and jerseys and designs of things. So I would assume that both of these clubs started designing these things way well in advance, possibly a year or two before this summer. It's just a very intriguing coincidence, I guess I'll say, about them sort of debuting at the same time. But to sort of move the conversation forward with St. Louis City SC, uh, not only did they announce their name and crest and colors in the last week, but as of this morning on Monday that we're recording this, they also announced their new sporting director. His name is Lutz Fahnenstiel. And as the three of us were doing some quick research about Mr. Fahnenstiel before the pod, this might just be the most interesting man in soccer. He is joining from Fortuna Dusseldorf in the Bundesliga uh, in terms of North American connections, he played for Calgary back in 2004. That team is now defunct. And then for the Vancouver Whitecaps back in 2007 before they joined MLS. We don't know too much, I would say, between the three of us. But, uh, Drew, give me your thoughts on the signing of Fawn and Steel, maybe the timing of this, because St. Louis is still a few years out from joining the league. But what are your initial thoughts on this announcement? Yeah, I think, yeah, again, they're a couple of years out. I think they're set for 2023 after the league postponed expansion. So they're set for 2022, but uh, there be they will begin play in 2023, um, which that's interesting because if you look at his team's managed, obviously he's never been in the sporting director role before. He's been assistant coach and manager and a goalkeeper coach through all the teams that he's managed. And he kind of has the same thing with the teams that he's managed as the teams that he's played with. I think he played like 27 teams in however long his career span was. And so there's a lot of one-year stints, one- to two-year stints. And it's kind of the same deal with coaching, but the exception of um, Hoffenheim, who was there from 2011 to 2018, and that was his longest stretch. Um, and he was kind of in a maybe a similar role as a sporting director position. He was a scout, more of a scout rather than just a goalkeeper coach. Um, and at Dusseldorf, where he's coming from, he was a managing director of sports. So I don't really know if that's similar to sounds a lot like sporting director. So maybe he got some experience in Dusseldorf. But because they're so far out, it makes me think that this might be an anomaly in his coaching and sporting director career because. I mean, if he stays here, stays in St. Louis until 2023, it's going to be one of his longest stints in any club with at least three years. And in a sporting director role, maybe they want him to stay a little bit longer. Maybe he's ready to settle down. As we've said, he's had a pretty crazy life. But it's interesting because he hasn't stayed with a club that long, with the exception of Hoffenheim and with St. Louis being 
three years out. This kind of might force him to stay a little bit longer than most jobs that he's had. Um, but it's interesting. Most people seem to really like the guy. He's been all over the place. He's played at all different types of levels. So maybe he brings a lot of knowledge from outside sources and different players from different places we might not think of. So I think this position might be a little different just because he's going to be forced to stay in St. Louis a little longer than some other positions he's had. Connor, what did you think about the hire for St. Louis? I knew absolutely nothing about him. I still don't know anything about him apart from reading his Wikipedia page, which I would highly recommend because there are some gems in there. A little snippet of it is he got imprisoned in Singapore, I believe, for 101 days accused of match-fixing. And his heart, or he stopped breathing three times after getting hit uh, or tackled sort of thing in a game. Uh, So that's just the beginning of his little Wikipedia page. But I don't know. He's an interesting guy. Uh, He doesn't have much experience, clearly, uh, whether it be just the managing. He's been all over the the planet uh, playing for different clubs and everything that you can think of. I don't know. They're going out on a limb. I like the fact that they're bringing him in really early. I think that's really big because he's going to have a lot of time to really pick up the talent that he wants and turn this club into something that he wants it to be so that they can actually create an identity, which will be very important for them. But yeah, I have really no issue with it. Uh, It's an interesting signing and hopefully it works out. Josh, do you have any sort of thoughts on this? Yeah, I think on paper it's a good good pickup. You know, again, we personally don't really know that much about him, but you know, reports from friend of the pod, Manuel Fate, who joined us a few episodes ago, he put out a really good story on Fawn and Steel, and in that he mentions that Fawn and Steel actually turned down offers from Newcastle and Inter Milan. So this was a guy in demand, especially over in Europe. He could have very well been with much bigger clubs and you know Milan winning the semi-final in Europa League today they'll be playing the final Newcastle once again finishing mid-table but there's constantly rumors about takeovers happening with them so they're they're a pretty big club so between those two for him to come to St. Louis I think is very very interesting it's worth noting that his scouting network at Hoffenheim which is where he was before Dusseldorf they discovered uh Robert Firmino Roberto Firmino sorry So the current Liverpool starting striker. So that's a big thing. And also he mentioned the importance of homegrown talent. He said, quote, homegrown talent will play the biggest part of our philosophy, end quote. So that's something uh, that I think I'm interested in. Very curious to see how that turns out for St. Louis. It looks like they're going to really focus on the grassroots, developing players at a very early age. He also threw in there that he wants to get rid of America's uh, pay-to-play structure. So that's another exciting thing for me, I think, because if we can get rid of that in this country, we can start to develop a lot more of these young players, make it a more accessible sport to everyone instead of only keeping it for, for people that can afford it. So hopefully that brings about some change. But I think that's all we have to say about St. Louis City SC. We'll be on the lookout for any new announcements, updates that they have over the next couple of years, obviously. But Venturing into some of the signings and rumors for MLS, the transfer window officially opened on Wednesday of last week, on August 12th. 
So we've had a few deals become official. The biggest one is probably Blas Matuidi, who signed with Inter Miami. We were reporting it as a, I guess it's Blaze, right? I probably said yeah. his name wrong. My bad. It is Blaze. <laughs> Blaze, I'm usually pretty good with the pronunciations, but I. I Overthought that one. Blaze Matweedy. <laughs> he we were talking about reports of him joining Miami. It's now official. We thought it was going to be a DP deal. No, it is a TAM deal, which means Inter Miami still have an open DP slot. Connor, what do you think about the announcement of this being a TAM signing instead of a DP signing? Does this change your mind about the signing in any way? One word. How? <laughs> How did they manage to do this? Paul McDonough, baby. He knows what he's doing. I don't care who you are. You just convinced a 33-year-old World Cup winner playing for Juventus, starting actual games, to join you on a TAM contract. That's insane to me. In MLS, too. Yeah, but like he could easily be playing on some of the biggest teams in Europe still. And he's chosen to come to MLS and get paid very little which is a huge step for the league uh, i think this makes this signing even better for air miami i really want to see who they are going to bring in at striker uh, i saw rumors over the weekend after the bayern munich dismantling of barcelona <laughs> that messi might be on the move but i doubt that happens i also saw rumors that suarez might be on the move i i believe that we we can come back to that in a second but i i believe that rumor I think it's a bit more likely. Uh, I know Cavani had been linked to Inter-Miami, and I believe he's going to sign with Benfica. Uh, I believe that's been confirmed. So, And David Silva's now off the table after, uh, I believe it was Real Sociedad, just mm-hmm. stole him out of Atalanta's hands. Uh, I believe it was Atalanta, correct? Well, Lazio. Lazio, Lazio. Sorry, Lazio. Uh, just stole him from Lazio. So... I think Suarez could be a serious option to come to MLS, and I'd love to see it. I think that'd be really, really fun and really cool for the league. Messi's probably a bit of a reach, and maybe we'll dive into that in a little bit. But I love this signing for Inter-Miami. I love it. There's such a small risk involved in this contract with how good he's been over his entire career. I can't see it not working out. Yeah, he provides an immediate improvement in this team, too. We talked about it a lot last week, but he'll be able to walk right in there and start having an impact. Drew, what do you think about the signing? Uh, just like I asked Connor, do you think it being a TAM deal, does that change your perception of the signing? Yeah, for sure. And like Connor said, I think it only does good things for the signing because I think we were all pretty excited about it because of how good he is and the pedigree he has. Um, and that was when we assumed he was a designated player. So seeing it as a TAM deal and still having that open slot for a DP just makes it that much better. Um, so yeah, I guess the same thing as Connor. I don't know how they did that. Paul McDonough is a genius. Credit to Miami for hiring the smart guy and he's making moves. Um, I'm excited to see who they get that third DP because I know Cavani was rumored for a while. I think I saw something that that's kind of debunking that rumor, but you never know with soccer rumors. I have seen a lot of Arturo Vidal rumored with Inter-Miami. I don't know how I feel about that. I don't think that kind of feels a striker need that we were talking about. Um, so, yeah, I mean, coming in that TAM deal just improves it that much more, I think, because it allows you to get another really good piece, a really big, talented, world-class piece, like possibly Luis Suarez to come to your team. Um, and having uh, my Tweety there with him 
and not knocking out that DB spot just makes it that much better. But I did want to mention really quick, um, we talked about Bayern Munich. We didn't mention Alfonso Davies today, or Jonathan David. They both tore oh, it up in Europe, yeah, Connor. Yeah. yeah, Jonathan David scored, and Alfonso Davies made Barcelona look he like snapped, FC Cincinnati. He snatched some souls. That was wonderful. He snatched some souls with that assist. He's he a bad man. He single-handedly humiliated Nelson Semedo, and it wouldn't surprise me to see, uh, I believe it's Juventus, who he's being linked to, potentially. Alfonso Davies? No, what? Nelson Semedo. Oh, okay. Semedo. I was like, what? No, not Davies. Davies is staying in Bayern for a long time. <laughs> uh, he just signed a contract extension. But Nelson Semedo just got embarrassed. Uh, I didn't see the John- or the Jonathan David goal was nice. It was a bit of a tap-in. Uh, it was good to see him connect with Jonathan Ikone, I believe it's how you say it. striker's goal. It was a striker's, striker's goal, goal. Right uh, and as someone who can play as a striker and sort of in an attacking midfield role, I will really like that for him. It is just preseason, so we'll see if that plays into anything. But the fact that he starts his first game and scores immediately, I think, is really big for him. And Alfonso Davies is, I'm claiming, the best player in Concacaf right now from Concacaf. I know, wrong. I know, Kaylor, Kaylor Navas has. A bit of an argument, but he's getting older and he's playing on PSG. I, th- I think it's Davies. I genuinely no. think it's Davies. Nah, Davies. Davies is third behind Pulisic and Navas because Pulisic has been around longer. He's got the track record of success at both Dortmund and Chelsea. But I will say the the that Davies is if if not like like an an inch behind him, he's like extremely close to Pulisic. I'm not, I'm willing to give Davies that second place yet, but he is fast climbing. You are nuts. Spe- you are, <laughs> you are nuts. Speaking of no CONCACAF players ab- abroad, we will, we will veer, we, we got to save this for another pod because we will veer that's, way off track, but it's a good idea. Good idea. The, the <laughs> ultimate best player of CONCACAF, who we haven't even talked about yet. Gio Reyna, the, the, the next big American superstar, he also scored in his first play, uh, preseason game and then scored two goals in a second preseason game. So, again, you're very right to bring it up, Connor. It's just preseason, and you know how these clubs are. They play like these tiny teams, lower division teams to get ready. But that's already early good returns. Back to Matuidi, though. Uh, <laughs> I am like you guys. I think this is a better deal now that it's Tam. I was pretty skeptical of it just because he's an aging midfielder. However... I think you put it best when you said, Connor, that this is now a very low-risk move because it's a TAM deal. I couldn't agree more. Paul McDonough, again, he knows what he's doing. He's, I, I think people have sort of questioned his process at times because we haven't yet really seen a huge designated player come in, which is where Luis Suarez comes in. He is really, really good friends with Nico Ladero. I don't know how many people know that, but they're both Uruguayan. They're are obviously spend time together in the international windows when they're both selected for the team, but they are very close. I know Nico Ladero has been talking to that man about MLS for years now. So I assume Suarez will get over. I know, I think it was last summer he was linked to Seattle, which if, if you could imagine him, I mean, it, it would probably be instead of Rui Diaz, but I mean, good God, that would just be unfair. But I, I could see Suarez going to Miami just because it is Miami you know David Beckham could probably help pull in any player they want. And, yeah, I I think eventually he gets to MLS, whether or not it's now. We'll see. But Miami would be a good landing spot. Moving on to some other signings and rumors. I guess they're all, they're all official now. Not really rumors. But 
Either way, uh, Ariel Lasseter, former LA Galaxy uh, attacker, he's joining Houston Dynamo on loan from, I'm going to butcher this name, Alo Huilens from Costa Rica from their first division. Do you guys have any thoughts on that move? I, I'll go ahead and say I think it's just a, a smart pickup for Houston. They made a couple moves. We'll get to them in a second. But um, I, I would say that this is a, a good – Houston, they looked good in the tournament, right? They looked pretty good at, at times in MLS is back. They're just missing a couple pieces. So maybe Lasseter helps with that. Do you guys have any thoughts on that move? Uh, I'm going to be completely honest and say I don't know who this guy is, but – if you can add a player, you can add a player. As long as he's no Erickson Gallardo, uh, who you get hyped up a ton and f- kind of flops, but hopefully he's good in the MLS restart, which we'll get into in a second. Um, I, don't, I don't think Houston is, is hyping this up like Toronto did with yeah. with, uh, with with Toronto did with uh, Gallardo. Uh, do you have any thoughts on this move, Drew? Uh, not too much. I did a little bit of research on him before the pod and yeah like josh said he's played with la galaxy but i think his best stint came with la galaxy's usl side la galaxy 2 where i think he had 20 something goals if i read the wikipedia page right and yeah in 2019 this was one of the worst offenses in the west in houston so not too much i mean if he brings in goals he brings in goals and like josh said houston showed glimpses of maybe being pretty good and maybe he'll add on to an offense that can't really go anywhere but up from here so it was a smart move i think um we'll see how it pans out but yeah nothing nothing to break the news about with that signing but still nonetheless another attacker yeah i just want to add so he he scored 30 goals in 58 games for los dos la galaxy 2 so very good return and then in costa rica now he's scored in about a third of the games he's played in 24 goals and 64 games uh, one other thing that I am just now linking together because I didn't. He is the son of Roy Lasseter, who f- up until Joseph Martinez broke the record, I believe he was one of the guys that had the goals in a season record. I can't remember. I, I will say I do recognize the name Roy Lasseter. He played in MLS, and he was an international player for the men's national team. So... Wow, I'm getting... No, he scored a lot of goals for D.C. United. I'm looking at it now. He played for Tampa Bay Mutiny. He played for D.C. United, Miami Fusion, SKC, back when they were the Wizards, back to D.C. So he's been around MLS a bit way back when. So that's now his son that is back in MLS. Moving on, Cincinnati made a couple moves today. They traded two players. They traded uh, Fatai Lashi to Columbus in exchange for a second-round pick in next year's Super Draft. They also traded away Kakuta Mana to New England for a 2020 international roster slot, which I believe New England also got... Yes, they then exchanged that to Houston and Wilfred Zahibo in exchange for Tommy McNamara and $175,000 in game. So, to recap, Cincinnati got rid of two players. New England added two players in Kakuta Mana and Tommy McNamara, and then Houston, in addition to Lasseter, also picked up Wilfred Zahibo and a couple international slots in there too. Uh, I will go ahead and say first thing, the biggest thing that jumped out to me is I found it interesting that Cincinnati got rid of two players. They have not said anything about bringing anybody in in this window, and I don't think they're going to end up doing that. This does, however, feel like they're planning ahead. They pick up that second-round pick from Columbus, and 
I can't remember what they got in exchange. Oh, that international roster slot. Maybe that means they're bringing in somebody. I don't know, but I thought that was interesting. It sort of sounds like they're they're planning ahead. Uh, do you guys have any thoughts on these couple of moves before we move on? My initial thoughts when I saw the international roster spots, not realizing that both moves were connected, was does this mean that Gertz is potentially going to join them? Because they do have a lot of international players. I just counted they have 10. Uh, so I don't know if that plays a factor in anything because I know that Gertz, as we mentioned last week, has been linked there. I think it's, they're unloading, uh, I believe it's, is it Mana or Mane? I swear it's, I might be saying it wrong. Kukuda, we'll call him Kukuda. Uh, unloading him, I it's unfortunate because they're losing that pace, but I think it'll give him a bit of an opportunity to actually play on New England. I don't know if he necessarily would have gotten that chance as much on Cincinnati, and I think he wants to play. Uh, Fatai, I couldn't even remember who that was. Um, and... I don't know, you get a second-round pick, he obviously can't be amazing if it's only, if he's only worth a second-round pick, unless they've completely misjudged his talent. Uh, I think it's fine. Like They're making roster changes, and they need to do that, uh, even though they did have a successful MLS's back tournament. They, need, they do need to make changes because they're not perfect, and that's very apparent, and any sort of changes will be helpful. Yeah, I the first thing that came out to my mind going back, and I think it's pronounced Mena. I don't know, but yeah, Kakuta. Um, I'm just really excited to watch the New England Revolution play now because I don't know what kind of time he's going to get because uh, I think he was coming off the bench a lot for Cincinnati. I don't remember too well, but I just remember this guy is the fastest human being on the planet because he was with the Whitecaps for a little bit when the Whitecaps were MLS Cup contenders, and he was so much fun to watch. So maybe him... Uh, Gustavo Bo and Carlos Hill, I think that's going to be a pretty fun attacking trio they're going to have in New England. So you guys bring up a lot of good points to Cincinnati, kind of looking like they're going to build for the future uh, with a new coach and a pretty successful MLS's back tournament. But I'm really excited to watch New England. Uh, it might be one of those situations where they're winning games 5-4, to four, and if that's the case, I'm all for it. That's fun MLS television. So I'm really excited to see New England uh, with already a pretty solid attack, and now they're adding this guy who has like a 99 pace on FIFA or something like that. But yeah, so we have a lot of transfer rumors, transfer news. Um, but going away from the transfers and getting into the MLS's back final, we'll talk a little bit about the game and the tactics and how it played out. But one of the bigger storylines around the final, the Portland-Orlando game, was that it only got uh, 390,000 viewers um, compared with Orlando Miami with 503,000, Seattle San Jose with 408,000, and we cannot forget our NWSL friends. Their Challenge Cup final got 653,000 viewers. Uh, so credit NWSL, but Connor, I know this is the, the section you were waiting for. We're talking broadcasting. What does MLS have to do to get more viewers? Because 390,000 for their final, not not looking too good. Their biggest issue, I think, with the final was the fact that there were so many sports on that day. You know, when I looked up, I was just curious about how many other sports were on. There were, what, four hockey games. Uh, basically, every team in the MLB played. And there were, what, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven basketball games. So MLS was competing with popular sports like hockey, basketball, and everything like that, um, which is tough. 
were any of those the Portland Trailblazers by any chance? Because that might be something. Everyone wants to watch Dame time and not the MLS's back. It was. They were playing Dallas. Uh, and it went. It's Dame time. It went. It ended very close. It was 134, 131. I don't know what time that was at. That could have been at 4 o'clock. Um, but that is a factor, uh, which, again, they're competing against these insane games. Um, you know, they were competing against the Tampa Bay against Columbus. I know they're not necessarily the two biggest hockey teams on the planet, but they were competing against those two, and it went to five OTs. Like, five overtimes. That's happened, like, four times, maybe five times. It was, like, the fourth longest game in the history of hockey. So, I think they just got really unfortunate with their timing. Uh, If they want to make the broadcast better and they want to increase these numbers... They got to start taking advantage of the time slots that don't have games. And unfortunately, with what the NHL and NBA and MLB were doing, it that was very, very difficult. And because they'd scheduled everything in advance, it wouldn't have necessarily been possible. Um, I think the fact that Orlando Miami got 503,000 is very big. Uh, I think it's huge. But it could be a lot better, definitely. Um it's really tough to judge when I don't have like all the detailed numbers about how this factored into things. Like I assume that this, uh, like I looked at the average for MLS last season and I believe it was, yeah, 1.092 million, which that's real. That's really good. Uh, especially for soccer and to see MLS put up 390 on the tournament restart, I just don't think they did enough to really bring in fans of other sports. They didn't hype it up enough. Like, if you're a soccer fan, if you're an MLS fan, this was fairly important because they were qualifying for Champions League. But if you're anyone else who doesn't really care, I don't think it was that big of a... Like, it didn't really attract them as much, which is an issue and something that they do need to try to figure out. It's... They're trying to turn an international sport to an American or a North American audience, which isn't like the rest of the world. It's very, very different and very unique in how they like their content. And soccer is still trying to figure out how they can do that through television, through the broadcast, through everything like that. And I think some of the stuff that they tried in the broadcast was amazing. I think it'll be huge for soccer, whether it be the drone camera, which I loved. I thought that was amazing. Um, whether it be audio, being able to hear the referees go in for VAR, whether it be being able to hear the field a lot better. There were a lot of positives to take away from this broadcast and this entire tournament from a broadcasting point of view, but it's figuring out what actually works perfectly and what probably needs to be adapted a little bit. And that's where MLS and ESPN and TSN and Every other broadcaster in North America who broadcasts MLS is going to have to figure out in order to create this league into something that brings in a really big North American audience like the NBA, MLB, NFL, NHL. I know I went on for a long time there, but I think it's MLS is in a really good spot. And hopefully they look at this tournament and they take a lot of things away from it, uh, which I think they've done so far. What are your guys' sort of thoughts on 
the final only having 390k viewers. I'm personally pretty disappointed with those numbers coming back. Now, again, you know, you bring up excellent points. There's so many other sports going on that, you know, they couldn't have foreseen that when they initially announced the schedule. I think at the time they were going to be the only sport back. Baseball was dead at the time. NBA hadn't even figured out their schedule. So, again, at first it was great, and then by the end there was just so much competition for eyes. I think the thing the thing that this these numbers sort of sparked in my mind, the, the sort of um, thoughts I was having was, how do you get the viewership up? And people's first reactions, the media, soccer media in the United States, their first reaction is to say, get rid of the salary cap, bring in better players, make the, the, the product on the field higher quality. And I think about it and... MLS is plenty entertaining without having the best players in the world, right? We get to see some of the... Now, it's because maybe the league's quality isn't so good. You see a lack of defense a lot of times. You see a lot of crazy comebacks. You just see a lot of crazy stuff. And that's because the players are not playing at the highest level. And maybe that's okay. To me, to us, to casual MLS fans, it's... I would say it's entertaining more than it's not. And we especially saw that in the tournament. That being said, Connor, again, you're bringing up good points. This audience that they're trying to capture in the United States, they've got so many other sports. They just don't care about soccer. It's just the fact of the matter. They just don't care. MLS has only been around for 25 years. And even then, in the first 10, 15 years, nobody gave it a second other day until David Beckham came over. And then it started to get a little more eyes. And of course, it's grown into what it is now, which is great. There's plenty of growth. There's good, solid growth, things that the league can build on going forward. But in my mind, as I was thinking about all these numbers and, oh, how do you get more viewers? At the end of the day, you just come back to nobody cares. Uh, I, that's just the reality of it. Not nobody cares, but the majority of people don't care. And then, again, you throw in hockey and baseball and and uh, basketball, and there's not really much you can do. Drew, what were your thoughts on on these numbers and, and all that? Yeah, I think you bring a good point. The MLS is so much fun to watch, but it's hard to bring in people, trying to convince people to watch Brendan Aronson and Diego Rossi play against one another. When the, the average American soccer, Amer- average American sports fan probably doesn't know who those guys are, whereas the MLS fan is obsessed with those guys and knows their quality so you bring up a good point um i think when you because we mentioned the nwsl challenge cup final and that game was on cbs so that was a much bigger reach than espn and maybe mls shoots for something like that um we have on our outline that an important tv contract is coming up i don't know how any of that works when it comes to getting channels to show your league but maybe they try and follow the nwsl's footsteps a little bit and get a CBS or something like that to get viewership up. Um, you bring up a good point of the sports coming back because we went from no sports to this massive conundrum of everything going on all the time. And you have like the Tampa Bay game, you might have some Orlando City fans that are also Lightning fans because they're both in Florida, so they want to watch the Lightning play this ridiculous playoff game. Or you have the Portland Timbers and you have the Trailblazers and Damian Lillard, who I'm not a Trailblazers fan, but every time he touches a basketball, I want to watch. So you have 
the, the cities and other sports teams competing for viewership. Um, and maybe some people just didn't take the tournament seriously. That's a whole different debate in and of itself. But maybe because this wasn't MLS Cup final or Champions League final, people really didn't think of it as worth watching, whereas you have NBA playoffs, NHL Stanley Cup playoffs. So I think when we talk about potential ways to fix this problem and make it does that make sure it doesn't happen again in the future maybe they need to follow in the nwsl's footsteps and get a larger reach besides espn um yeah so connor we talked about that important tv deal and really quickly what do you think these numbers do for mls going into that tv deal one thing that does show them is that they need to be on the major networks like the major major channels like espn period not espn two or whatever i don't know how the u.s espn stuff is broken down but they need to be on the biggest channel which they haven't really had up until now and in this upcoming tv deal which is going to be incredibly important for their growth they'll be able to negotiate so that x amount of games are on espn the channel period or on national cbs broadcasts They'll be able to negotiate that. And that's what's really going to help drive the viewership because it'll expose a lot more people to the league. When it's ESPN2, they have the choice between I got the Portland Trailblazers game where I can watch Damian Lillard go off here on this channel or I could watch MLS soccer, which I don't really care about, on ESPN2. Their odds are they're going to pick the major sport that they're familiar with. And the way that you're going to make people familiar with your sport, and this comes away from the broadcasters because they don't really have as much influence as this, is they need to bring in the big-name talent. You know, Josh, you mentioned when the league initially took off was when David Beckham joined. They need another David Beckham. Whether that be Lionel Messi, uh, when he, he ever he's going to move on from Europe, although I could see him probably going to Argentina more likely, or Cristiano Ronaldo, who I believe has mentioned that he might be interested in coming to MLS, or some other massive name talent like that, I think that's really important. And I also think it's really important for MLS to bring in someone in their prime. You know, you can bring in a Ronaldo and you can bring in a Messi at 37, 38. That's great. But you also want to see these guys when they're 24, 25, 26, 27. That's the key age for them, and that's the key age that MLS want to bring people, bring these players in for, because you can really market them, and you can create a really good brand around these said players. When you have older players, it's kind of tougher to brand around them, because in the next year or two, they're probably going to retire. That's the issue you have with the Pirlos, the Gerrards, the Lamparts. That's why Giovinco, uh, marketing him was so great because he was still relatively young when he came to MLS. He was, what, mid to late 20s. And you look at Michael Bradley, Josie Altador, uh, you look at Joseph Martinez. All these guys are relatively young who you can really create brands around and you can really push. And right now, without that mega star power that they had in Beckham, they can't really do that. And that's how they're really going to create a lot of the sort of general people who pay a little bit of attention to soccer and a little bit of attention to sports and all that stuff. That's how you get their attention. And that's how you're going to get eyes on the screens. And if you want to keep those eyes on the screens, you need to have a product that's good enough in order for you to continue bringing them back over and over and over again. And 
that's going to be the trick from MLS. And that's where MLS's back is going to be so huge because they tried out so many different things that they found out what worked and what didn't work. You know, they found out that those nine o'clock games, they do not work. Those are terrible and they'll never work in North America because your primary viewer base in North America isn't going to be up for that. They may be at work. They may not even be awake. They may be sleeping in that day and they're not going to watch that game. Whereas the later games, I think it's really good. When you can get the drone shots of those crazy free kicks and you get to see the curl behind the play, that gets highlights. That gets into the highlights. That gets headlines. That doesn't just focus on MLS and the North American fan base. It goes around the world. And that's what MLS really needs to try to create. And that's what the broadcasters really need to try to create. If they want to turn MLS into something that's globally known and something that people really resonate with and brings in an audience because soccer is such a big sport and can be so successful in North America that they just need to get it there. And right now I like where they're going with the amount of growth that's happened over the last 10, 15 years, but they still got to keep going. And if that means getting rid of the salary cap rules, that's getting rid of the salary cap rules. But whatever they think is going to work, they're going to have to do, and they need to try. They need to just try stuff. I know I've been going on for a while, and this is probably going to be a long podcast because I went on for a while, but I do love this media stuff. If you guys were broadcasters, what would you do to bring in this general audience? Would you restrict the salary cap rules or would you try to bring in the big name talents or would you focus on the broadcasts what would you do i think a, the short-term fix is absolutely bring in the biggest name you can the long-term fix is getting rid of the salary cap in order to build up the quality of the league over time because it's not going to happen overnight although that would speed up the process for sure as a, as a broadcaster if i were to think about how to pull in more viewers, it would have to be the star power. It would have to be the name because, you know, as I was saying, soccer is just not one of the, the bigger sports in this country. So unless you have an individual that can bring eyes, this the game itself is not going to bring those eyes. So that that's that's what I would do. What would Drew, what would you do? Yeah, I think it's interesting because if you Right, because if you take away the salary cap, then you have run into the problem of some clubs spending a lot of money where some clubs aren't spending a lot of money. And some of the best parts about MLS is that it's a league of parity. You have crazy stuff going on all the time. You don't have this exclusive big six, so to speak, that or a team that's always winning it year in, year out, like Italy, France, Spain, or whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think you got to bring in the biggest names. And if you get rid of that salary cap, that might force other clubs in order to win. They're going to have to spend money as well. Um, so I think from if I was a GM or if I was Don Garber, I would seriously consider getting rid of that salary cap or teams bringing in the big names. From a broadcaster point of view, that is an interesting one. Um, I think because when you think about what all they've done, like Connor mentioned the drone cam and you have like I think it was that Philadelphia counterattack goal the drone just went perfectly over the player's movement and that was the only the first time I've ever seen anything like that and that was phenomenal but I think MLS is in a cool spot to just try some stuff um if it screws up it screws up go back to it and you're MLS you're not NBA or NFL so from a broadcaster point I just be creative and try some stuff get some new eyes on it and get some people wanting to see how you're doing things 
Um, I saw Connor lifted his hand. So, Connor, what are your other thoughts about getting fans I think in? you said it very well. Uh, I don't think you get rid of the salary cap completely. I don't think that really will work because um, you do want to keep that parity, but I think you do need to up it a lot so that teams can spend 2 or $3 million on multiple players on their roster, whether that be up to like $15 million or $20 million or $10 million something around along those lines, I think upping that salary will be able to bring in that bigger talent. And look, as you mentioned, the broadcasters are in a unique position and they need to try stuff, which I think MLS's back will be huge for the broadcast. I think this will change a lot for MLS and for the broadcast that you're about to watch. I think those drone cams are going to be a regular. Uh, they're going to become a staple of these games. And it's going to be amazing, you know. A lot of the stadiums that these teams are playing in have those capabilities, and to have those capabilities and use them and capitalize them, I think those broadcasters will do it. I hope they do it. If they do it, I'm going to be very happy. Uh, clearly, you know, it's benef- not only benefiting me as someone who's trying to get into the media or sport media landscape of things. It'll benefit soccer. It'll be benefit everything else, but... Unless you guys have any sort of other thoughts on the whole broadcasting thing, I think I've talked enough. Um, and I guess we can move on to the MLS is back final. What did you guys think of that game? Yeah, I thought it was cool. Um, I don't, I think I got the prediction right. I think I picked a Portland 2-1 to one win. So Josh picked the, the champion right from the beginning, but I got, I got no, the score no, you right. Did not. You picked a 2 nothing win. I didn't. Oh man! It was, Gosh, Orlando Foyles. It was again. Ivan Ornelas and Cameron. I think it was Cameron. It might not have been Cameron. Give me a couple of seconds, and I will tell you uh, if someone else wants to talk. Uh, but yeah, while Connor's doing that, I thought it was it was fun. I mean, I think Orlando had one shot on goal the whole game, and it was a shot that went in. So it was a very disciplined Portland game again. Every time I think about Portland winning, I look at possession. I think it was like, it might have been 35% possession again. So this was a really interesting tactic battle. Orlando likes to kick the ball around with, one another, with each other and break teams down that way. Portland likes to sit back, let teams have the ball, and stay disciplined. And I thought Portland did that perfectly. Um, Portland's really good in the knockout tournament style. They've shown that before and they showed that now. I think they are the better option when it comes to CONCACAF Champions League as MLS tries to break through that for the first time just because of how good they are in the, the knockout style tournament. Um, so I thought it was a very Portland Timbersy win. They let Orlando have the ball and Portland stayed disciplined. And um, to Orlando's credit, I thought they kind of limited Portland there for a little bit. I don't think Blanco or Chara were on as much as we've seen them on the whole game. I thought they were a little slower getting into the match. But, yeah, I mean, Portland, they played their style of game and their experience. They know how to win together. Valeri with an incredible ball on that. I think it was a set piece, I guess, to get the assist. But, yeah, the big names for Portland stepped up, and they won just like they've known how to win before. Connor, what did you think about the final? Uh, before I give my thoughts, I wanted to give a shout-out to Ivan Arnelas and Nathan Dunn, who both predicted the final correctly. Uh, we mentioned both of or everyone's predictions from MLS Multiplex last week. Uh, and, yeah, those two guys predicted it correctly, so congratulations to them. Uh, but, yeah, I thought... What did I think? I thought Blanco was really good, uh, as always. I thought he was 
impressive. Uh, I understand why they took him off late in the game as he was either dealing with an injury or starting to cramp. Uh, I thought it was interesting that they stuck with Valeri as a starter as opposed to bringing him on the bench late. I thought Orlando looked okay, uh, but Portland were just the better team, and I think that they'll do better in Champions League, and I think this is a good outcome for MLS because they'll finally get to go to Champions League, and they could be a team that can make some serious noise there. I don't really know what else I want to say. Um, Josh, do you have any thoughts on this? Yeah, I thought the game kind of went how it was supposed to. You know, these were two hot teams, two good teams that looked fairly evenly matched throughout most of the match. So I thought as far as that went, it was sort of expected. And I think if you're looking at it objectively, you can easily say that Portland should have won just based on talent alone. They're just the better overall team. They've got more depth. Orlando, I think we forget, but this is still a a team in transition. Oscar Pereja has only been there for half a year at this point, a little over half a year. So this is still a team that is still adjusting to him. They've obviously taken to him very quickly. They showed that with the results of the tournament. But at the end of the day, still a a team that is experiencing a lot of change. What I did want to get into is the tournament awards and sort of get your guys' thoughts on that. So Sebastian Blanco, who we talked about, named best player of the tournament. I personally, I voted for Nani. I thought Nani was more important to Orlando and carried the team more than Blanco carried Portland, just because Portland has those other pieces like Diego Valeri, like Jeremy Abobasi, all those guys. So personally, thought Nani had the slight edge, but no complaints with Blanco getting it. Andre Blake won the Golden Glove. I also picked him. Diego Rossi won Best Young Player. I voted for Brendan Aronson just because I didn't think Rossi showed up enough in the Orlando City game, but he did score tons and tons and tons of goals, which is respectable, of course. And then for the best 11, you had Blake as goalkeeper, four defenders, Jao Moutinho from Orlando, Mark McKenzie from Philadelphia, Larry Smaviala from Portland, Ruan from Orlando, three midfielders, Diego Charo, Sebastian Blanco from Portland, Brendan Aronson from Philly, and the three forwards, Nani, Diego Rossi, and Jeremy Obobese, who we just mentioned. What are your guys' thoughts on who won the awards? Do you have any problems with any of this? I have a couple of differences in my best 11 from who I picked, but what are your guys' initial thoughts on, on these awards? I don't have too much of a problem. I think Diego Rossi won Golden Boot, right, if I got my stats correct? I believe he did. Okay, cool, cool. So I guess, I mean, I guess you kind of have to throw him in there, but I did want to give a shout to Jordan Morris. I thought he played really well, and I think just because of the position he plays and you have Nani and Rossi ahead of you playing out of their mind. Um, so I thought Jordan Morris played really well, and that's just unfortunate who he has ahead of him. But Jeremy Bobasi obviously played good, but how do you not give it to Io Akinola? The guy had five goals in three games, and I think Abobasi had four goals. I know he got to the final, but... That that's the only big issue I have is that I don't understand how you score five goals in three games and you don't get into it. Maybe just because his team didn't get to the final. That's my biggest issue. Um, I agree. Yeah, with Brendan Aronson winning best young player, I thought he performed well the whole tournament. Um, Andre Blake, I think we even mentioned last week that he deserves Golden Glove, and that was pretty 
undebated. So glad to see that. Sebastian Blanco named best player. I think that makes sense. I mean, he tore it up for Portland all tournament long and maybe winning the final as opposed to finishing runner-up got him that edge over Nani. But I don't have that much of a problem with it, except I would much rather see a Canola rather than a Bobasi in that front three. Connor, what did you think about the awards and the uh, tournament best 11? I had no issue with the awards. I thought every player there was deserving. Um, Blanco, you could argue Nani. I think Blanco gets it just because they won the tournament. Um, and he did do very, very well uh, in the entire tournament. Um, but again, I do get a nanny. Blake, of course, he had to win it. He was spectacular throughout the entire tournament. And Diego Rossi, he scored what? At least, I think it was seven goals. Uh, so I understand it. I have no issue with it. You could have argued Io Akinola, but he only played three games of the f- four that Toronto FC played. I, I, I'm I sort of torn on him getting into the best 11. I think he probably should have over Abobasi, but I think Abobasi probably was a bit more involved in the entire tournament as opposed to Akinola, who didn't play in the quarterfinals or in the round of six, quarter, yeah, round of 16, sorry, round of 16. Um, but look, Abobasi went to the final. He won the tournament. Uh, you have to understand it. Again, I would have liked to have seen Akinola as a TFC fan, but whatever. Uh, Josh, do you agree with this? Do you think Abobasi should have gotten in? Yeah, I. so I wanted to say that the best 11 that I submitted was very similar. The only difference is I showed Minnesota a whole lot more love. I had Chase Gasper, the sauciest left back in the world outside of Alfonso Davies. He, I had him in there. Uh, the dude was pulling mad moves all tournament. And just so much respect to him. He had some he had some stuff up his sleeves. Uh, I also threw in Mauricio Pereira from Orlando, the midfielder. They're number ten. I felt like, and and this is coming from someone who when I, I think it was when I was doing the tactical. Yeah, when I was writing the tactical previews before the tournament, I remember looking at Pereira as the number ten for Orlando and thinking, who the heck is this guy? And I did a quick look at his stats. He only played eight games for them last year, and he didn't do a thing. Didn't do a thing for them. So coming into this tournament, I was like, who, you know, prayers, this nobody like Orlando whiffed on another signing. No, no, no. He was good. Proved me wrong. Proved a lot of people wrong, probably. So I had, to, I had him in there. I had Darlington Nagby in there because come on. Uh, again, the Minnesota love, Ozzy Alonso. I had him in there as well. But other than that, the rest of my 11 is the same. I understand wanting to put Akinola in. He was great in two games. Five goals in two games is nothing. He didn't score in that third game. Oh, right, he didn't. That was a Donald draw. Mm-hmm. Right, so that's the me, only please. reason why I'm talking about the, the two games. Five goals in two games is nothing to 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 mess with, right? That's that's full respect. And even in the third game, even when he didn't score, he was making great runs. He could have scored a couple times. He was still very involved, still showing quality. But like you said, he just didn't last the length of the tournament. I also think that's why Jordan Morris was someone you forget about. I mean, you look at who was put in to this best 11 and what every single player it looks like made it to the final four except Diego Rossi, and you can't really argue with that because of how many goals the man scored. So, I think overall the media, the fans in general, they got these these picks right. I could understand Akinola or or Morris the arguments for it, especially over Abobasi. I will say, 
Obovasi is generally very underrated, and I think in this tournament he sort of silenced those people or brought attention to people who didn't know much about him, and he was very, very consistent. Akinola did a lot in a short amount of time, which, again, that's impressive in its own way. Ibobasi, the fact that he was consistently scoring and leading his team to the final, I think speaks for itself, and I, I think it's very deserving that he got in there. For what it's worth, I had Akinola as my second young player behind Brendan Aronson. And above Diego Rossi, and, and I can't remember the other players involved in that, but that's my thoughts on it. Do you guys have any have any last thoughts before we move on to our last um, subject? Great. So, games are back. Games are back. Dallas and Nashville welcomed MLS back with two amazingly entertaining, rousing games that nobody missed a single second of. Totally kidding. I don't know if anybody stayed up for the game. I think it was last night. The game didn't get started until midnight on the East Coast because of tons of lightning delays. But anyway, first game, Nashville, they got their first win, one nothing win. Uh, people threw things at the players, which was despicable, and booed during the National Anthem because players kneeled. Go figure, they've been doing it all tournament. I think people forgot about fans being in attendance. And then uh, the second game, like I said, started at midnight. Nobody missed a thing. It finished nil-nil. I did put it in the rundown, as you guys see, but for those listening, Nashville haven't given up a goal in 258 minutes since that one goal to Portland back in March, so that's pretty impressive. Give me your general thoughts, whether it's Nashville's first win or Reggie Cannon and his bravery for speaking out or Nashville's defense or maybe some worries for Dallas. What do you, what do you guys, Drew, what are your initial thoughts on these, these couple games? Yeah, I mean, I think... Like you mentioned, the Reggie Cannon Dallas, that was not okay by the fans. Um, See, obviously that was credit to him for speaking up as a leader in the league and the leader um, for his team. But getting to Dallas, uh, I mean Nashville, going away from Dallas and getting to Nashville, I obviously good to get the first win, something that they had yet to do as an expansion side. And I think going back to their games before the MLS's back situation where they didn't get to play, they haven't really – gotten blown out by any teams i think they lost 2-1 to atlanta after emerson hyman scored a goal that had some officiating controversy around it on that one nothing loss so the defense is playing really good they're not getting blown out of the water which is a really good sign for an expansion team um so yeah i didn't watch the second game um it started at midnight but the fc dallas social media the social media guys for both teams were absolutely wonderful so checking it on twitter was great um but yeah so credit to nashville they haven't gotten blown out of the water yet uh getting that first win is always good and i think they play atlanta saturday the 22nd for atlanta's first game in this little southeast shindig that they got going on so we'll see how it keeps up they got orlando and orlando city hold, hold on a second good, so southeast shindig that should be the name of the the rivalry like that is no one's given a name to national atlanta and yet so i would go southern shindig i think we just that's did. a pretty <laughs> oh man i'm gonna start that, pushing that on social media that is the name of this podcast now. mls southern shindig including our, I, like our I guess are you relatively in the south of canada connor I am very in the south of Canada. Do you know where Ontario is? I I just wanted to make sure. Okay. I, I I know you're near Isn't Toronto. Everyone in the south of Canada. Well, in comparison, yes, because nobody lives in the north because we'd f- 
that's just not really it's like Russia. possible. Yeah. Then uh, my point stands. We're all yeah. Southerners here, so yeah, maybe Southern shindig <laughs> will be <laughs> welcome to a uh, I wish I was a, as Southern as you guys, and I got that weather, but unfortunately not. Uh, yeah, Canada is just sort of Southern everywhere, um, because you know Northern negative forty. Not a lot of people can live in that, and people who do tend to have a bit of trouble. Um, but it's understandable. I like the fact that everybody lives everywhere. Um, I didn't watch either of these games, so I'm not really going to comment on what happened. I will say, FC Dallas social media person, if you need to talk, all my DMs are open. Uh, that tweet was a little <laughs> depressing. Um, that was very depressing. Uh, so yeah, if you need to talk and you somehow listen to this podcast, I'm always here. Uh, we'll give you the ads at the end of the show just to make you listen through the entire thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Good for Nashville to get their first win. I don't really have any thoughts on this. It was a game I didn't watch. Reggie Cannon, massive props to him. To those fans, screw you. Um, we, you're not welcome here. We don't want you here. Uh, to the players, massive, massive respect for what you did. Hopefully this continues. I know they played the anthems before the players came out last night because they started at literally midnight. But I don't know. It's just disappointing to see MLS fans react like that. But it's ultimately not really that surprising to me. Just want to add that Reggie Cannon very likely on the move in these next couple weeks. It seems like interest in him from Europe is heating up substantially, especially over the last couple of days as he's been in the news more because of his his reaction and his comments on what happened in Nashville or in Dallas, I should say, on Wednesday night. I just want to say about about Reggie Cannon, obviously good good on him for speaking out and and it's good that he's showing himself as as a as a leader especially for dallas this speaks to the men's national team down the road it seems like a guy that could potentially lead the rest of the men and just be a really good leader for them a good voice in the locker room so that's that's really cool to see he's only 20 i think people forget his name has sort of been around for a couple years so for him to be that young and to be that mature and handle the situation the way he did super impressive but yeah he is starting to get some some big interest, and I, I think that's an interesting aspect of it. The last thing I want to say about that, about uh, Reggie Cannon's comments, the thing that made me the most sad is when he said, we knew this would happen. The players did not want the national anthem played at the game, and Don Garber has already said what he's going to say. He said that if there are fans in attendance, the anthem will be played as part of the pageantry of the game. Whether or not you agree with that is a different topic, and maybe we'll address that down the road. But Reggie Cannon and the rest of the players, they knew what was going to happen. And so it was sort of, it was just sad for him to admit that openly and be like, yeah, you know, we, we were expecting this. You know, what are you going to do? And that just speaks to the, the apathetic mood and, and general perspective of these sort of issues in the country, which is disappointing. But I guess it's what it is but speaking of this country just want to throw in before we close out the podcast the u.s open cup is not happening this year 106 years in a row the competition happened they played through the great depression back in the 20s they played through both world wars just anything you can think of could not play through this pandemic 
Super disappointing. Such a, a long-running tournament, obviously. Hopefully they can come back next year and we can get another year of Open Cup. Personally, as someone in the United States, you know, I know the fans, we don't really place a lot of importance on the U.S. Open Cup, sort of in general. It's not as big a deal as, obviously, MLS Cup or even CCL, maybe, but it's still such a historic competition. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Any last-minute thoughts from you guys? Let's end on something positive. Uh, because today has been a little bit of a depressing end, uh, frankly, as we were disappointed in the MLS fans. MLS games are back this week. So, what does that mean? Next week, we get to talk about normal games again. Uh, after MLS is back, we get to finally talk about the regular season. Canadian MLS teams, Toronto against Vancouver, kick off tomorrow night. So, I'm very excited for that. Uh as you're listening to this, it will be tonight um, because we obviously record on Monday nights. But yeah, MLS is back, and I'm very, very excited. Uh, I'm sure both of you are. I have high hopes for Toronto FC. We'll see how many other moves are made, whether Blaze Matweedy makes his debut this week. Who knows? Uh, whether we see any other debuts, whether we see other moves, Kof Kof, Mario Goetze, or anything. Or Lionel Messi, who we didn't really talk much about, uh, who is potentially on the move and maybe now not on the move. Uh, we don't really know. But there's lots of positive MLS stuff that we can take away from today. And while it is important to focus on the negative, sometimes you need to, t- you need to take a break and look at the positive. So, Drew, we've been going for 71 minutes. Take us out. Yeah, thanks guys for tagging along for... 71 minutes like connor said yeah thank you so much for listening as usual you can find us on twitter uh connor at cwg somerville josh at josh underscore bowl and myself at underscore drew hubbard uh, mls multiplex at mls multiplex and please 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 visit the website at mlsmultiplex.com as games keep coming back um writers are writing really awesome stuff for their teams in the league in general and please leave us a review um itunes spotify wherever you're listening to the podcast uh, we love hearing feedback and learning ways we can get better so thank you guys so much for listening um again soccer is still going on so we have we'll have a great episode for you guys next week and yeah we'll see you all next week Thank you for listening to the MLS Multiplex Podcast. Check out all of the contributors' written work at MLSMultiplex.com. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.